The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. We had a story. It's Mamish, one of the most amazing stories where there were two partners. And these two partners were friends in yeshiva. They went to work in business together. They start out modestly. At first, they worked only in the evening, continued learning during the day. Gradually, the business picked up, and before long, it was booming, and each one was making a very decent salary. Several years after they opened the business, they made an acquaintance of an elderly Jew who was never married, who had made a small fortune importing similar products to what we marketed, and we made, we developed a strong business ties with him which eventually became a very close relationship. Two years after meeting him, we engaged in almost daily business calls with him, and he became a beloved member of both of our families. He was a wise and experienced mentor to us, and as they did to our kids, he stayed with us for Shabbos, Yom Tif. he showered the children with expensive gifts, he took a genuine interest in our life, sometimes too much of an interest, this man never got married. To the best of my knowledge, he had no living family members. They were all burnt in the flames of the crematoria in the Holocaust. He rarely spoke about his past, but I understood that he rebuilt his life from ashes, which was another reason why my wife and I were so devoted, devoted to him. The more he visited, the more he seemed to take it for granted that he was a full-fledged member of our household and deserving of anything he asked. His expectations became more frequent and demanding. He took a toll on our family. Either didn't achap or he didn't respect our need for privacy. And with each passing day, his presence became a greater burden. He also stated his opinion at every opportunity expected us to abide by us, even when it clearly conflicted with our values and our standards. At one point, it seemed to me that he was deliberately undermining my authority until really one day he went too far, had enough, and I had to set things straight. I approached him and asked him to step into the next room. It was just the two of us. I addressed him in a tone that wasn't going to accept any argument. I said, my friend, you're my best friend, and you know how deeply I respect you and cherish our relationship. Not just me, my entire family, but your conduct in our home has recently become insufferable. When a guest, even if it's a close member, is constantly giving unsolicited opinions, it causes his host discomfort and sometimes it's rest. Therefore, from now on, I want you to remember, I am the head of this household and I'm asking you, and more than that, I'm insisting that you avoid interfering in our household affairs. You're a wonderful man, very good friend, who continue hosting you with respect and love. We feel privileged to host you as a guest, but under no circumstances does that condone you to interfere in our private affairs and I'm asking you to stop. The guy looked stunned, and it suddenly occurred to me he'd probably never been taught these basic social cues. I felt a flash of guilt, but I couldn't apologize or take back my statement. A long moment of silence passed between us. Before he regained his tongue, he narrowed his eyes until they were almost snake-like, and he practically hissed at me. Your words are inexcusable. I will never speak to you or darken your doorstep again. I have Heshi, he said. That was the Shutav, and that's enough for me. He stood toward the front door, calling over his shoulder. 
Don't ever call me or visit my office, even if it's business related. I'll deal with Hashi, but never again with you. The next morning, I went into the office. Hashi asked me I could give Max a call in order for a new shipment of supplies. I endured the shame of confiding to him that we had a strong disagreement and we ended on an uncomfortable note and Hashi should keep on having it in touch with him. Hashi absorbed the information quietly. He reached for the phone to call Mr. Max. Nine months passed. Business continued as usual, although the fracas, it was Hashi who handled out any communication with Max. Keeping a low profile, I reached out on several occasions to apologize to him, ask his forgiveness. I explained to him I never intended to insult him. I want to protect myself, my wife, my family, my peace of mind. At first, he refused to even look at me. But after repeated entreaties, he agreed to hear me out, and I explained myself and begged his forgiveness. He appeared to soften, and the meeting ended on a positive note and a firm handshake. The rift had weighed heavily on my heart, and I was inordinately relieved to be forgiven, which was why I was quite surprised when my wife received a call several hours later from Max. Please tell your husband that although we reached an understanding and I'm willing to visit you again while respecting the guidelines that you've set, it still doesn't change the fact that he may no longer step foot in my office. I vowed this months ago, months ago, I won't retract it. He was willing to abide by my rules. So I decided to abide by his. Never again did I visit him in his office, while he did resume visiting us on occasion, respecting our boundaries. There was no mistake in the heavy cloud. When I could bear it no longer, I turned to him one evening before he left my house and said, Max, even though we made amends, I still feel that things are not quite right between us. I want to ask your forgiveness again, and I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is all behind us. Rest assured, he said, it's behind us. Although, to be clear, you should know that in my will, I am leaving all my assets to Hesh, not the partnership, only to Hesh. I did leave you $100, though, he said. His admission caught me completely off guard. I knew that Max was very wealthy, but never had I regarded him as a possible benefactor or thought that I would be any way compensated for hosting him. To me, his presence in our home was an act of chesed. Later that evening, when I shared this episode with my wife, we agreed it didn't really affect us in any way. Obviously, a sudden windfall would be welcome at any time by anybody, but this had never been our intention in our interactions with him. When we'd done what we needed to be done, Several years later, Heshi and I parted ways. I ventured into new financial territory. By mutual consent, I sold Heshi my share of the business. By now, we were also linked in other more meaningful ways. We were twice Mechutanim. My son married his daughter, and my daughter married his son. We also shared three beautiful grandchildren, twin girls from my son, his daughter, baby boy. Life stops for no one. And as Hesh and I became grandparents, Max got older as well. While he grew ever more experienced, wiser, understanding, he began to deteriorate physically and mentally. Once again, his visits grew longer and more frequent. And he, always st- he often stayed for us for a whole week on Yomte. When he came for Shabbos, we'd usually pick him up on Thursday afternoon. We stayed till Monday evening. As his health began to fail, I made it my business to ensure that he received quality medical care. It cost me a great deal of energy time and money, but I didn't hesitate to do what was necessary. One day when I returned home, he called me to his room. It was something he wanted to tell me. He'd recently taken ill and was too thrilled to travel back and forth to his house. Since I feared that he would one day require emergency assistance, I offered him to stay in my house until he regained his health. No, 
He said to me, you're my closest friend in the world, practically my son, he said. I deeply, I deeply regret the time when instead of controlling myself, I told you about the will that I wrote. I wrote my will precisely during this short period when I was angry with you. But I've long since forgiven you and regretted my decision. Despite my angry outburst, you did your utmost to make amends. You have demonstrated great loyalty. I annulled the, the two years ago, I annulled the old will and wrote the new one, which I entrusted to my lawyer, stating that you and Heshi should both receive equal shares of my estate. Now, no one can ever know about this time. When this time will come, I am telling this, so now you should not feel any bitterness or resentment. Despite his frailty, he stood up from his armchair, walked unsettled to his briefcase, rifled through a pile of papers and medicine until he found what he was looking for, a photocopy of the will, which he gave me. Overcome, I thanked him emotionally, spent another hour with him until he said he was tired and wanted to go to sleep. I took the copy of the will and I placed it in my desk drawer. Two weeks later, on a Sunday morning, X passed away. After spending a beautiful, serene Shabbos with our family, he went to sleep much of Shabbos and didn't wake up again. He was gone. We arranged the Hashem funeral since he passed away in my house. I announced that Miyanam would take place three times a day in my house. It's a marriage for his neshama. The last day of the Shiva Max's lawyer came to my house to Davin Mincha. And afterwards he mentioned there was something about setting a date for the reading of the will. Asher was there too. And at that moment I noticed my machutin wink at the lawyer, but didn't give it much meaning. Little did I dream how much that wink represented. Several weeks passed, and one day I visited the local district court to inspect the file related to my business. While waiting for the secretary to end the call, something on her desk caught my eye. On the top of a fresh pile of papers, request to execute probate of will, deceased so-and-so, a man. My blood froze in my veins. I felt my mouth go dry. As I struggled, struggled to contain my growing anxiety, it took me a moment to respond. How can I help you, sir, she said, affecting the calmness that I tone, explained that I wished to copy two court files. One was a public file, and the other one was exactly the file on the desk. Gazing, gazing at me with natural suspicion, the court secretary asked me, what, what did I have to do with this particular file? I am one of the beneficiaries, I replied, automatically reaching for my driver's license to show my identification. The secretary compared my license to the information in the file, shrugged, shrugged, and rose to make the requested copies. I took the copies, documents, I thanked her, hurried back to the car where I could read it privately. I went over the documents and nearly choked when I read that the court was requested to issue an order of probate to execute a will written by this date that was dated a decade earlier. A quick calculation made me realize that this was not the new will, which Max had told me he updated two years earlier. I read the words of the will that Max had written 10 years earlier with dread, which he left $100 to me and over $6 million to my mechutin and former parish partner, Hashi. How could it be, I said to myself? Why had the lawyer submitted the old will to the court, not the new one? Suddenly occurred to me that neither Hashi nor the lawyer was aware that Max had told me the contents of his new will. Recalling the telling week, I guessed that the lawyer had contacted Hashi secretly and for a nice hefty fee offered to cut my best friend, former partner, Mahutin twice over out of the deal of a lifetime that would strip me of my rightful inheritance but leave him fabulously wealthy. Ipushin got sick to the stomach of how his Mahutin, his best friend, his business partner for many years, 
could Mamish betray him in such a fashion? And when he finally regained consciousness, after a couple of hours, he made three decisions. Number one, that for the time being, I won't, bring a, I won't breathe a word about this terrible discovery to anyone in the world. The second was, I would not make any decisions alone, but I would consult with the Godel who represents Dastar. Third, I would not do a thing about it for the next three days, since he was scheduled to go to Eretz Yisrael for several days to attend a nephew's chasana. So he was sitting on the plane, he finally struck the thought, let me go to Rab Vosner in Bnei Brak. It was a random thought, because it wasn't a Talmud of his, and he never visited him before. But something in his heart told him, I wanted the advice of a Godel Adar, that Vosner was Baisek Adar, and he was the correct address. Upon landing on Ben-Gurion, I spontaneously changed my plans of dropping my luggage in my hotel room in Yushalayim and traveling straight to the Kaisel. Instead, I headed straight to Bnei Brak, to the home of the Godel. I knocked on his door, which was opened by the rabbits of Vosner. Upon hearing that I just landed in Eretz Israel and that I had an urgent matter to discuss, she excused herself, came back in a minute later, the Rav will see you now. I took a deep breath, entered the Rav's room. Vosner was sitting there with an open safer. As soon as I arrived, he gave me his undivided attention. He listened carefully to my story, absorbing every word and every gesture. When I finished speaking, he closed his eyes and was silent for a long time. When he opened his eyes, he let out a breath, and he said, The answer is clear. You have a very strong claim against your partner. You can take him to a dintaira. I well understood the meaning of a dintaira, which he already envisioned in the three hours that he was thinking about what he would do. And he realized that was the case would spout rings, wings, it would become the scandal of the century. Before long, would be the talk of town. Everyone in our shul neighborhood, groceries, would be gossiping, gossiping and analyzing our situation. <coughs> Worst of all, the personal devastation it would wreck our lives and our family immediately. We weren't only friends. Remember, we were mochatanim. How would it impact our couples and our children, our grandchildren? Even in ideal case that the, the partner would panic when he got called to bed and he would apologize. I returned the money that I was due, I would retract my claim in Besden, there would be an iron wall between us forever. Suddenly I realized that the tzaddik was still speaking. Certainly you may go to Besden, but you should know that Hashem repays his children tenfold in this world when they're mavater for the sake of peace. In Cheshmer, the guy ripped him off three million bucks, tenfold, thirty million. He can live with that. I thanked the Rav from the bottom of my heart and took leave of his home, feeling calmer than I had since stepping foot in the courthouse. The chasana was scheduled for that night. I danced with joy and exuberance that I hadn't felt in years. I felt spiritually rejuvenated. I felt like a malach in the form of a man. I acknowledged that it wouldn't be easy, and there would be surely be times when I would regret it immensely. But I knew it was the right thing to do. Four days later, Upon returning to New York, one of my very first things I did, I opened my desk drawer. I took out a copy of the will that Max gave me, and I set it on flame. I put it on fire. In 30 seconds, I destroyed the only legal evidence I could present in a Besden 
or if necessary, a court of law. As I watched the paper turn black and crumble into gray ash, I whispered to myself, it's over. From that day on, I took a vow of silence on that matter. Twenty years have passed from that fateful day. Had I inherited the $3 million, there is no tell telling how much it would be worth today. On the other hand, that very day I set the document on fire, I contracted a major deal that led to another deal and another deal, and today my assets are worth more than 10 times that amount. It's clear that the advice and that the dry psakalocha that I got from the Paisakador of Vosner created an opened up wellsprings of bracha into my life. Today, believe it or not, my former partner and I are still friends. And we're close mechutanen. We daven in the same shul. We mingle together during Kedushim. We celebrate many a shared simcha. Every year on Max's yard site, we both bring tikkun to shul and kevin minyan and his kever, where we say tilim. We both drive up to the base of Chaim in our luxury cars. We both not know that Heshi made his millions for Max's inheritance, and only I know that I likewise made my fortune from that same inheritance, only in a different route, a different way. I have no doubt that if Heshi had even the faintest idea that I knew all along about the shtick he pulled in court, none of this would be true. Several years ago, two years before the passing of Rav Vosner, I took my wife on a week-long vacation to Austria. On the second day of the treat, my vacation, I met an acquaintance who was also staying in the hotel, and he mentioned that less than 60 miles out of Salzburg was a picturesque village called Hinterglen, which was frequented by many tzaddikim and gedolei Torah. And he mentioned, by the way, Rav Vosner happens to be there too. My friend who told me he was a close Talmud of Vosner, but he was unaware how meaningful his words were to me. I'm actually planning on driving out there tomorrow to ask for a bracha. My friend said, would you like to come along? Come on. What's going on out there? To Vosner, we meet him the next day, and he says, this is my friend, so-and-so, from New York. Lifted up his eyes, and he looked at me. I felt my, my knees grow weak, in awe as I stood before the tzaddik, who radiated Kedusha Vitahara. Vosner looked into my eyes deeply, and suddenly he broke into a smile. Of course, he said, we're already acquainted. Yeah, amazing. He motioned with his finger for me to come nearer, and I bent my head close to him in a whisper. No? Was Oxley said, what do you say? Does it pay to be Mavater in this world or not? Yeah. This is what the Chavetz Chaim is telling us. Chavetz Chaim is telling us, Abayi this, when your people start an argument and they start a fight, instead of being Beitech and Hashem, Hashem has no nachas ruach from that whatsoever. But if a person's going to be noyek, he says, with midas habitoch, he's going to be zoyche to see the chesed and the toiva of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like it says, ta'amu uru'u ki toiva Hashem. Taste it, you'll see. Ashrei hagever, fortunate is the person, yeches saboy, who has boiteach. Why does it say ta'amu uru'u? To teach you when somebody puts something in his mouth, then he's makir, the real tough. Somebody who be'emes, as midas habitachin, he's going to be makir, the great taiv of HaKadosh Baruch. And if you do that, you're going to be zeicha, to such taiva and such bracha 
that your life is going to change, and you're going to find true nachas ruach from the British Shleilam, and you're going to be zeichet to kolatev. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire dot org.